This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with ECB Master Coach Lee Conroy. He discusses the pathway for young cricketers, his experiences of the Bunbury Festival, and potential barriers to cricket participation. I hope you enjoy. So Lee, first of all, uh, thanks for jumping on. I guess the question is, how are you? How's things? Uh, yeah. Um, well, that's my pleasure, I suppose. And I think it becomes more of a pleasure really when um been coaching like you can miss a bit of social interaction at the moment. So yeah, I'm, I'm good. Um, kind of, because resilience has been built over the last um, six to nine months really, I think. So there's a lot of um, ups and downs on that time. But yeah, no, Starting to hold the going to see some improvements maybe in, in the north west over the next few weeks get some of the figures, which is brilliant. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Good. So obviously, I, I kind of reached out to you over, over social media because I'd seen your profile and it looked like there was some um, interesting obviously content in terms of stuff that the stuff that you deliver but also in probably a sport that I'm quite interested in just because it's kind of inherently individual but then in a team setting which is obviously yeah. cricket so do you want to just explain to people who maybe don't kind of know you or know your background kind of who you are what you do and all that sort of stuff yeah so um I'm, i suppose i've not I've had a checkered path but i've had a, a bit of an unusual path for a coach i suppose in that i came from a business and technology background um and when i was about i started playing sport that I loved as a kid again, um, which was cricket. Um, and I started seeing what the coaching was like in local clubs and I thought I could do a better job and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I started on my kind of coaching journey about well, 10, 15 years ago, I suppose. Um, and then just kind of followed the progress through the, but it felt like a bit of a competition really going through the different levels of coaching. So I've done one, two, three, four, um, I finished my level four probably about two years ago um, in cricket, same as rugby, so if you take some four, um, so it's about a two, two-year course and probably two and a half year journey for that one. And we always use the term journey now, because it is a bit of a journey. Um, um, and I've just, through lockdown, I've finished my master's in elite coaching. Um, I think, obviously, with the coaching side of things, you can get to a stage where you feel as though I need to probably affect more um, people. So I became a coach educator, coach developer, tutor, whatever you want, about some years ago, in which I get great joy out of meeting coaches and having chats. And also I need to be mentor. Um, I'm starting doing a little bit of mentoring across the Well, highly entertaining and, and the mindfulness is massive. Um, why cricket? I think probably started off, you know, I was always passionate about cricket. I played a bit at my age group as a very young child. Um, I think a very long time ago now, so I come from a working class background. Um, so it's kind of probably not a sport choice um, for my peers um, at the time, um, but I just got really into it, um, loved it. Um, 
and just fell in love with that sport and fell in love with sports that hard as well. Um, but I got back into it because um, my nephew's son, large Irish family, a bit confusing, my nephew's son started playing um, and did the old one. I used to play, so uh, that's a brother. So we ended up having a near enough a family team at a lot of clubs. So I've got ten members of the same family playing, which was excellent and really enjoyed it. Um, cricket's an interesting sport, as you mentioned before, about team and individuality. Um, and it's obviously Called it the various sport as well. Um, in the, it's a lot like golf, in that you know, as a batsman, you get one chance a week. Um, you're a club cricketer, um, and a lot of club cricketers will have a look Saturday playing and, and get out of and have two minutes playing the game, um, and then stand in the field for a few hours, and then probably come to about Tuesday, Wednesday, the following day, without speaking to their departments and the kids again and then go and do it again on the Saturday so it's very similar job so there's a lot of stuff in there for people development and psych stuff um, and that individual against the team sort of thing so it's absolutely brilliant as a, as a learning to um, talk to sport um, there was one comment that you know I'll refer back to my matters at some point but um, one comment that, that came through um, I did a lot of interviews with um, elite coaches who through master's program and so did all friends and sort of quite candid. And all of them really said that cricket was the vehicle that got them into coaching. People were the, the thing that kept them in coaching. So it's funny that you can get into the sport, but kind of a lot of people just get hooked on the people side of things. Um, and I think that's where I am now, really. So um, quite like taking to other sports as well um, and just seeing how we go. So it'll be a great work as well, Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting. Also, you said the start of your journey was a kind of business and tech background, and then you saw um, kind of an area that you thought you could improve and kind of in that. I guess the, the big thing for me was what did you see that kind of concerned you enough to make the jump? And then I guess why did you make the jump? Because it seems like quite yeah, a well, good thing to, to yeah, do. Yeah, I think you kind of got... There's a lot of theories around you've got probably two or three careers in your life. Usually 20 years is the term for mastery in subjects or, or whatever. I think the IT specifically, um, I got to a stage where it became a little bit more boring. Um, I started in the 90s or the early 90s, so the maths and time and computer science degree. I worked in R&D in big pharmaceutical companies. I worked in the city with... Uh, Finance and uh, some of the kind of drivers um, for technology at the time. Um, so there's a lot of changing every day. There's a lot of new technology now, um, and it's still it's still like that now. I think once you see a lot, it, it loses its complexity and it kind of sticks in your mind a little bit. So when coaching came around, I was probably you know still run a coaching and a technology business for now, like. Well, about 2018, I When coaching came around, um, it was complex. And, and you'd open the door, you know, it's like going through your levels in coaching. It was never having there. Kind of go, oh, you know, pardon my French, oh shit, I've got loads more to learn to get rid of this. Um, you'd open the door and then there's loads more stuff in there. So I think that complexity, that's a word um, really appealed to me. 
And I, I, I like chasing the unknown as well in mind, trying to work out how things work. So I like people to score and all that kind of stuff. And it's really entertaining and it's really, you know, you get the opportunity to do the theory and the practice stuff all in one go, um, which is not a lot of industries, you know, don't necessarily put that together where you get stuck in academia or kind of practice, but you do it right with coaching, you can, you can bridge the gap a little bit. So yeah, and I think what I saw a lot was um, in coaching, it still happens a lot, you know, in all levels of cricket. Coaches think you know best. So they will tell people how to do stuff. Um, they will say things like, you know, in my day, blah, 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 or I've been doing this for 100 years, people listen to me. Um, it's, it's probably where I can go, well, that's great. And you've got some great experience, but your experience is only solid within your own body and within your own what you've seen and all that kind of other stuff to be applicable to me. So that happened. Loads of questions came up, and then loads of questions were continued to come up, and I've got no answers, so I don't know what I um, But it's all, it's, it's a really fantastic learning <clears throat> um, And along the way, you're helping people as well, which is brilliant. So you get all that. No money in it, mind you. Um, which is That's why point. I said it was a weird transition yeah. to jump across. <laughs> yeah, so, so when I went, um, my actual start into becoming a professional cultural coach developer, there was a job came up in Cumbria Cricket, which was one day a week, which was um, coach development manager um, in 2012, I think it was. Um, so I had to work out if I could afford to take it that day. So I had to kind of push things around and so it was really doing it for I don't know, minimum wage really, but nothing but I had to make sure I've got the other four, five days of the week. So I was working six days a week, can I afford to do it? Big question. Um, and that's just continued on a little bit. So can I afford to do it? Can I afford to do it? And having a family, um, my oldest one's at university, sorry, university. Been working for a year now, so it's just been finished his master's a year ago, um, but he's down with abortion. So we've had him growing up, and then I've got a nine year old, so we've had kids in the house all that time. So he's big priority, making sure he's got it's a working class mentality. I think we've got food on the table here. So that's, that's probably the big thing that sits in the back of my head a lot of the time, you know, biases I've got from that and growing up. So yeah, it's been. Been interesting, and I've been trying to get to a level with what I know and my experiences, and how good I am at doing stuff, so I could make that full time working to working with people all the time, um, which is brilliant. Because, like most people, we, we have a job, and the job pays to allow us to do the good stuff that we do. And it's even better if you're doing good stuff during the week and paying the bills, and then doing good stuff on the on the weekend, and you get to you know, get to do stuff that you love. Is you know. Is amazing um, and thing and was, I'm very lucky to have, to have been able to achieve that. Thing. No, I think yeah, having having a career that you enjoy is, is a uh, is, is definitely a godsend. Uh, one thing linking back to what you said there, um, you mentioned that a lot of coaches kind of tell um, and kind of tell people how they think it should be done. I guess my question to you. In your experiences of playing when you were younger, did you have coaches that did that or were your coaches far more um, open, I guess? Because what I find yeah. is 
coaches, particularly at younger age group, uh, coaches as you're developing tend to mirror what you've had when you're younger. So if you yeah. immediately went in and said, actually, they're telling, which isn't, I personally don't think, right. I'm wondering whether you had an experience to kind of verify that when you're at the younger age groups. Yeah. So, so my second um, view of the world in coaching was that time about 2010, where um, it was very traditional coaching, televised quite a lot of My experience as, as a player being younger, there was no self, there's no nothing, there's no coaching really, it's just a facilitation. Any you really good enough when you weren't. Um, you might get a arm um, show now and again, depending on whether they thought you were a potential going forward, I think. So it's a bit more, you know, that's kind of putting on to Um Now we're in a situation where I think probably over coach education um, become a little bit more question-based. Um, but understanding, but for me to coach developer and as a coach is that they're all tools. And you need to use all of them depending on the person in front of you. So you'll get a lot of people coming out of, and I've discussed this in first class, we've done a lot of exponents on both sides of the story. The game is the teacher kind of methodology. And one of my mates, Martin Kielsen, made some big old the teacher is the teacher. The game is the teacher, the teacher is the teacher. Um, so understanding you have a responsibility whatever way you try to get that change to happen you've got a responsibility to uh, to to be there as a coach and to whether it is setting for game and sitting back and asking a few questions now and then that's absolutely fantastic but you might need to speak to somebody you might need to tell somebody to do something um specifically when you're working with younger kids that are not aware you can't question anybody who's got no awareness of what you're questioning now it's ridiculous so there is a balance and you need to, fundamentally, what you need to do is know the kids. So I suppose when I, when I got into coaching, my problem with the coaches in the clubs where they weren't investing enough time in the kids um, and being connected enough to the kids. So they couldn't ask the right questions, they couldn't tell the right things um, and you couldn't you know, connect with them to help them, help them develop in a way whether that's in the cricket delivery or whether that's in live stuff as well. So it was quite a nice club I, I was involved in. in, in a club called Trimple um, in Morecambe, which is in the declined area. So I used to get 100 kids turn up on Friday nights. Um, so there was a lot of need there for somebody that actually cared. Um, and a lot of kids weren't getting that from, from the home, home life structure. So, um, you know, you it just needed a little bit more. There's, there's some great people there as well, so don't get me wrong, but a lot of it is just kind of, this is what we're here for, it's just doing something fast. And then was there anything that you were able to take from your kind of industry experience with business and tech side that you then thought, actually, I could yeah. implement this really well in my, my coaching setting? Well, I think the key thing for me, when I got into cricket, and I say this quite a lot now, and people go, you're an idiot. But when I got into cricket, I wanted to be judged as a coach, as a cricket person, as a coach. Um, and a lot of people don't know my background um, in, in cricket. So I'd send the CV around, um, you know, looking for work at the moment. So I'm sitting there and they go, what? I didn't know you did all this stuff. And I, I suppose it's kind of, you know, I do do it and I do use it. I think a lot of the leadership stuff is key. So as a coach or, or, or 
And we'll talk a little bit about change behavior and helping people improve and all that kind of business. But there is some kind of leadership stuff that we can do there to come. So a lot of the leadership stuff. Try not to get involved too much in the technology stuff when people are setting up laptops or the video cameras as well. So I know where that leads, leads to. Um, if you're not careful, people not going to go with a laptop can fix this, we need it for a session or whatever. So try not to get involved in that. But you're definitely the leadership. But when I when I was working in, in IT, it was all R&D stuff. It was all bespoke um, projects. I had a lot of talent working for me um, in groups. So you kind of clustering groups together. So managing coaches as talent um, is an interesting one. But, you know, because they could go and work wherever they wanted to, they're all highly qualified. You know, they're getting paid thousands of pounds a day sometimes. Um, so you've got to be able to manage someone. And that's the same with players. So you've got to get to know them, you know, all that kind of as well. So some of that, I think I probably was a bit, I learned a lot. From coaching that I look back on and could manage business a lot better. I think that people give it not necessarily softer, but actually their empathy making points in the past. Um, very black and white and some of my thought processes then and probably looked at the world out of my perspective, my eyes, and that's how it was. So a bit more brash, a bit more confident then as well. Um, so but I was really keen not to not to leapfrog um, the path or the journey by by bringing some of my other stuff, my other background stuff into it. Now I'm kind of sure I've probably made a mistake by doing that. But that was why I think the journey is quite common. Actually, I should have been a bit more um, looking at. It's funny because you don't put things together sometimes. You don't put stuff, you put stuff, you put stuff, you put what is it? And you organize and say, okay, we might be planning to apply it, we might look at equal um, play development plans for you. So, what does the planning process look like? Um, how do we achieve that? What are projections like? What's risk management? What's our strategy for this? And all that kind of stuff. So, it kind of leaks in, I think, when you look at it, you know, everything's really similar. Like, you might be talking about people or you might be talking about a project. And if you talk about player development as a project, sometimes it's a lot easier for that player to be able to manage that from a site point of view. So it is quite, quite interesting, and there is quite a lot of time driven. So more now than ever, um, I was very much against it um, when I was going through starting off, you know, for whatever reason. A lot of baggage that I probably have um, from my younger days. And then, obviously, one, one thing you, you mentioned there is kind of you worked your way through the kind of, in, of the ECB pathway in terms of coaching qualifications, all that type of stuff. Um, and one one thing that I, I notice in a lot of different pathways is you, you're trying to gain more technical and tactical um, information, I guess. That's kind of what they put on those pathways. And then the challenge is always how do we link that into our players or how do we link that into leadership models, all that type of stuff. Do you feel it was beneficial having that leadership background or that management background to then when you gained all that technical and tactical knowledge, you're able just to go, well, that fits in with what I've done here or that fits in what I've done there? So so most people who go on course are looking for the tech and tactics. 
um, technical person than tactical stuff. So we'll go through that. What do elite players do uh, at different tactical point of view? Pretty very tactical and tactical. Um, do you think there's some magic that people do? You know, cricket, I mean, tennis football, is it? it's not complicated, is it? It's a round ball and people kicking around the field. Cricket's the same, you've got a piece of wood that's flat with a, a ball that's round. You know, rounders is more complicated than cricket in all ways. Um, for technical delivery in certain areas. Um, so that kind of technical and tactical stuff is what probably people search for when they start off with. It's definitely something that you know I can throw obviously because I never played at the top level um, and thought there was some magic going on. Um, but the actual kind of coaching, the art of coaching, um, I think comes from experience. Um, and I'll qualify that by saying it comes from you putting yourself in different situations with different people and getting to know um, how to deal with different people and building relationships and rapport and all that kind of showing vulnerability and all building building safe environments and things like that, which you do day to day. So you so any experience you've got where you're working with lots of people in a challenging environment will develop some coaching skills. And if you do it well or you reflect properly or look to challenge yourself and then reflect properly on top of that, try and do better. So yes, definitely. And I think you kind of I got that a lot from I didn't think I did. Um, and so you can talk a lot about it being a bit sterile in the technical industry, but you've got some volatile people kicking around. Um, you know, a lot of egos kicking around and like that. I'm one of eight as a kid, so I've got kind of what I've, I've been ballasting um, people quite a lot over them, you know, since an early age. Um, and I'm the youngest as well, so I suppose I've kind of, you know, I didn't have a, I couldn't force my opinion on people. I kind of had to work it around a little bit. <laughs> so then kind of experience hugely the kind of, well on just on just on the exper experiential learning you get you need to do so there's no point going on a course and getting some stuff you don't do anything with it you want to be able to apply it um and you become a bit and uh, and i think people forget also that it doesn't have to be your experience so you can learn off other people's experiences as well so it's not necessarily okay so if i need to do 15 years to become a good, good coach um you know, whether we'd have a class of those would be an interesting one as well. Um, but you can learn from different people and have chats and understand and all that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, hugely, um, and I think it helps. And I think sometimes the traumas help a little bit as well. And so the difficult conversations that you've had, um, difficult situations you've been in, um, and being, just being able to just not be kind to yourself, I don't know, Common statement that we're doing them and just be kind to yourself. It's all right to metal, it's all right to apply it. You just get better and better, and you become more. And I think, I think as my journey's gone on, and you know, there'll be a lot of people to say I was quite focused in what we're doing at younger age, and I thought it's off people with coaching. Um, I used to go to work with my twin brother. And I talked about coaching when he picked me up for it was about an hour and a half journey every day till I got out of the car. Um, he's got no love of coaching. And I think I probably did that for him for about a year. So I'm surprised he just didn't you know, stop picking me up. And then I've started becoming a little bit less serious. I understand where I'm not necessarily how unimportant the coach's role is, but it's not, it's 
not the person that drives the change, the person that facilitates the change more than that. So, yeah, um, but to answer your question, any experience that you've got working with people, you know, we see it on courses, people who've taught, people who've coached, people who are parents, people who've got, you know, life experience, generally will will be able to call on that in some sort of situation to get these technical impact points across. Um, there's less focus a little bit on, hopefully, on people being able to demonstrate skill. Um, so if you haven't played, there's always different media to, yeah, to do that as well. So, Would you say to people that think the ability to demonstrate or show the skill is vital? Well, I work on this premise. So when, when first time I... I um, I've got a bit of Irish cooking, so I like the story, but I'll leave this story. I usually tell some story sort of thing. But if I'm working with a player, so I don't generally, you know, cook cricket side. Um, I work a bit for the England Development Program, that's been doing, doing, managing the North, coaching on the North Program. So I don't think there's been a player that's gone through that program that's not a better cricket than I. Um, definitely not now. Um, and I was. So how am I going to demonstrate to them how to do something? Um, and if you go, if you go, right, okay, so I've seen, I'm not a bad cricketer. Um, I see people demonstrating something. And the problem you have is that on the course, and I see tutors doing this as well, they'll demonstrate how to do, we call it front foot drive, which is the standard shot that everybody, you don't get to play it in the north of England, but we seem to love demonstrating the front foot drive for some reason because you, know, you don't get it. Um, you get one a game, but it looks nice when you hit it and you go, oh yeah, fantastic. Like all them thousands and thousands of practice on the front foot drive. So, you know, I've got four runs once a season. Um, so, so they'll do the front foot drive, they'll, they'll try and keep it in. And then you go, okay, and they'll say something, you know, whatever it looks like. And so we, we've gone a little bit more to principles of, what it needs to look like, not what it look like per se, what it needs to be like balance, you know, full contact with the bat, in the middle of the hole in the middle, um, and, and generating some power. Okay, but coaches will always refer back to the technical stuff, head over the ball, you know, um, you've got to do your hands, you've got to do it this way, you've got to do this with the bat, and all that kind of stuff, which any kid now looks at, um, looks on YouTube, and probably, I mean, grip's a great one. We talk about what's called beating line. I don't see that beating line. So, and the Aussies do that, and we go, all the cook coaches go on about beating line. So, you can, so basically, it allows you to be able to use both hands in the game, but okay, with no compromise. And then you look at the top six to seven batsmen in the world, um, don't have that, and use a strong bottom grip. So, the Indians use strong bottom grips and grips around, and they smash it all over the place. You know, Steve Smith, who you might know, is obviously quite famous. He didn't do it. He's very strong bottom hand. So you go, hmm, kids are on YouTube a lot. They look a lot. They come, you've got more access to media. So if you've come students at the game, they'll know you're talking so in your delivery. So you've lost all respect. So you've got to be careful. If you've got to demonstrate, you've got to say, this is just me doing it. You know, this is one model. And then so you've got to, if you're doing that delivery, you've got to explain to them. No, it's just a demonstration. So I'd always rather work with something that I see on a player 
um, you know, my my son, uh, you know, I'm very fond of him, I'm very proud of him. Painting most of the time, so he don't like me. But he bats this way on, okay, so he bats the chest on. And he's not, he's a nice little player. And then the amount of times umpires, coaches that see him wants to change him to go sideways because everybody else bats that way um, is amazing. Um, and he goes, and they'll listen to them and just nod his head and go, and they'll go back to being this way on eventually. He likes a bit of walking around the crease and doing some unusual stuff and enjoying the game. So you kind of go, there isn't one model. Can't see it. Look, you know, there's a sport. I mean, when you get into a specific sport, you might get biomechanical models of something. But, you know, I've talked to biomechanics before, but the set of rules are there to be broken for competitive advantage. So don't let kids play about and see what they can do. You know, we look at all the best players of team sports around, and they're all characters, aren't they? They're all doing something a bit unusual and a bit different from the crowd. Um, and I think we've just got to let that flourish and see what goes. So I might... So Joseph used to um, do that. So this way on. So I'm deciding, right, I'm going to put the ball by his feet. So he, he can't do that. He's got to go the other way. So I did, and he's playing in the park across the road. He starts sweeping me to stay in that position. And I'm trying to get him to hit straight because there's more only me and him playing. So I don't have to run and get the ball sideways. <laughs> And he'd go on a bench and make them do it a bit different. And they'll go, well, no, I will. And they'll go, go, go and tell me what that shot's for. Because you watch it on the TV. You know, that's a sweep shot, that. I'll go, yeah, I know. And I've got one hit a ball, thanks very much. Um, but that kind of stuff. So kids are brilliant. Inventors do different things. But you've got to work with what you see. Do so, you think that that mentality's changed? Because, I mean, if, if you look, well, from the outset looking in, a few years ago, you'd have people like Sean De Paul, who was at a yeah. very stand-up yeah. technique. We used to move a lot. You obviously had Kevin Peterson, who used to do a switch hit, stuff like that. But more often than not, a lot of other players would play relatively similar and a relatively similar kind of style. Whereas T20 now, it seems like every time you turn the TV on, there's a different type of style or different shot, like ramp shots reverse yeah. sweeps, all that type of stuff. Do you feel that there's been a shift over the last 10 to 15 years in terms of coaches allowing players to express those techniques? Yeah, well, I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you kind of you kind of see it and then you get players that come into an environment that can't show it. So they might mess about with making the net, but as soon as the coach turns up, they kind of go back to what traditional, what the coach wants to see. So I think you have to be positive to say, we're looking for outcomes. If you're in a performance environment, you have to look for outcomes. So you can play in a certain way, but if it becomes difficult, yeah, it's the same as anybody coming with any technique. You know, you might start with a technique that looks very traditional, but will it stack up at the next level? What's going to be a bit harder? Um, and then you might need to do some technical stuff. It might be the same, same for a player that's doing something unusual. So some people, some players come in, um, um, I don't know the player very well, but Tom Banson has always wanted to um, to show off in the nets and do things unusual. And, and sometimes for the sake of doing things unusual. Um, and he's not doing too bad for that much, to be fair. You know, so you kind of get an X factor with players sometimes. You go, okay, 
you know, if the continent must be trying that in front of a coach, and you've got a great relationship with the coach, and if you turn up as a coach and they're doing that, they've got a great relationship with coaching. It's kind of know where they are in that, you know, I don't care if it turns up, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and I want to practice what I want to practice. It's a great position for a player to be in. So, you know, it's interesting. So you see the effects of parents as well in the same way. As coaches turn up, or parents turn up, people, kids changing how they do stuff. Um, which is us as coaches, what we observe and what we probably need to challenge um, as well. So, you know, it's an interesting one. And there's some great volunteer coaches that do thousands of hours of kids one to one. If they're getting them to come back, they're not doing a bad job at it. So even if they're just hitting balls all the time, so well, that's good. That's, that's needed as well sometimes. You know, so I've, I've, as I said, my nine-year-old's a bit free-flowing, does what he wants, but we spent all winter, me just dropping balls for him to hit um, a bit closer to his body, because that's what he needed. Um, whether he enjoys them sessions, more so it depends on what the player needs so there's a lot of the basic stuff that needs to be done as well if you can people forget you can't just go and watch a video on youtube um and watch somebody doing a you know kevin peterson switching it okay or a, or a ramp or a josh or a ramp or whatever it's got to be practiced and it's got to be tried out and you've got, got to do the stuff before you go out and think you're going to be able to play it and then give up and try something else if it doesn't work for you so but that's why and do you see um kind of challenges now with people and you hear this a lot in the media not being able to do basics in terms of like front foot defensive or leaving stuff outside off and test matches with us well, well in the conditions that we play in it seems like yeah. the media has something we pick up on do you think that's something that we are neglecting because of trying to do all well, this I think, I think I'll do a name drop here but um, a couple of years back um, Ian Hill was playing South Meese but he, he sat with the North coaches, obviously. Um, he, he doesn't like watching his son play. So he sat with the North coaches. So we had you know, a few hours for a bit of matters, just having a chat about stuff. And his lad is a very traditional player. He's doing very well. Um, but there was quite a discussion going about red ball and white ball quickly. So you know, the thing that really is missing is that in society as well, is that it's hard to get you go big runs, it's hard pointing out. If you go and smash it first ball and it's going really well, if you're playing a longer format again, it's going to get hard at some point. The bowlers are going to be on top, it's going to be difficult. So, and concentration levels and all that kind of stuff. So, I'm not sure, you know, as I'm getting on a bit, I, you know, I probably was more of an old bowler when I was younger than I am now, but I hear a lot of it, you know, knocking kids down a little bit about you know they're not being able to concentrate and not being able to do this and then we don't go on about what great innovators or game players they are now and, you know, how can, you know, we've got all these things we can go and just choose and do and we used to go out and go on out and play and all that kind of stuff there's still kids like that and there's still kids that want to go out and play and do stuff. so so i I'm, I'm not sure to be honest with you i think if we kind of if, i think if we prioritize football cricket and say what you need to do is bat for a day um, then maybe kids will start changing and looking for that route. But while we're going white ball cricket, you know, the fantastic love and travel all around the world and be a movie star, I mean, um, 
it's an interesting choice to make as a 15 year old lad which way you go um, do you want to be Jeff Boycott or a Mike Atherton or do you want to be a uh, Virat Kohli um, and I think most of them will be on the Virat Kohli side of things really. you know so there is a place for it I and mean, there is a, a need for it don't get me wrong and I think Red Bull Test cricket is obviously you know just watching it it's, it's you know, for me it's always going to be top of, top of the tree but we're giving kids futures a lot of the time now so like always I'll pass it down as well so I think, there's a, I think there's an interesting situation. I think unless you promote Red Bull Cup, you're going to struggle getting the people um, to build them skills because I think you need to be able to do it. I mean, I remember playing as a kid. I was never in the club, but I could bat for hours. Um, I'm getting all runs, mind you. Um, and it was a, I don't know whether it's a concentration thing or just you know a mindset that you're not going to get me out ever. Um, and I, I get myself out. Nobody else gets me out. It was my philosophy of time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I think until you prioritise it, I mean, the regional cricket that we do at um, 15s and 17s is all white ball. So, and that's the tailing, you know. I don't know if you know about the Bunbury Festival. Have you heard of the Bunbury Festival? No, explain it. Uh, yeah, interesting. So, so, the Bunbury Festival is basically the full regional teams to come together for a festival um, at 15s um, and you know there's been hundreds and hundreds well I think there's over about 100 England players that come out of our festival um, and basically I think the World Cup winning team you know apart from the overseas people all through that festival or whatever so you get best versus best environment but we're using white balls so if you're using white balls like cricket, you talk to replay 50 over cricket after 2020, um, over a five-day period, five, six-day period. Um, so it's um, it's an absolutely brilliant um, festival, and like a lot of sports people and coaches, if you get to spend time with a player over five, six days, you see all the other stuff. A lot of development can go. But we're, we're focusing on live ball cricket. So it was Red Bull when I first started doing it, which was about six years ago, seven years ago. Um, so now it's white ball cricket, so you kind of go, and then year after it's been white ball cricket, colour globe, and all that kind of other stuff. Because um, the view was to get enough red ball cricket anyway, but I don't think we're playing much more today. So, so if we're trying to build a test thing, we'd probably go right okay, we might have to think of something else to add, add into the county circuit for more multi day cricket. So, like anything that you do, you can go right, we've gone this way, maybe we need to do that. So it's all in the back of um, Strauss um, saying we're going to win the World Cup, um, which we did. We did, yeah. yeah. Um, and from that point on, we went white ball. So whether it worked or not, I don't know. But you don't can go. Thank you, New Zealand, a lot for um, you know for that that period to try and win that World Cup, and that was his strategy um, at the time. So maybe there'll be a new strategy. Maybe it'll be you know Test Championship. So when you're going into that sort of environment, because I imagine that's very interesting because obviously you've got your hubs, etc., which you might have players that are the best in their region or one of the best in their region, but then when you're playing against those other regions, you know, they might get found out in certain areas or yeah. they might find one in certain areas. How big a development tool is that for those players going into what is probably a little bit of a pressurised situation because they want to 
show themselves in a positive light, but also yeah. playing against some very, very good and top players from other areas. Yeah, so you get, I mean, it's Bunbury's very well publicised in Germany, and in cricket circles it's quite famous, so you get a lot of players that get quoted from, you know, they, they get asked about the Bunbury experience um, and what that did for them, and a lot of them talk about that. First time I've been able to play the best in the country of my age group. So Joe Root will talk about that, Ben Stokes will talk about that, all them guys will come in. So it is that first time when they go. And I think a lot of times people actually make a decision that, that week to say, well, cricket's for me, I'm really going to go for it. Some people don't, and they probably go back a bit, actually, it's not right for me. Um, some people get, you know, I'll give you an example. It's, it's, I won't name the lads, but there's two lads that... Um, um, they just they play first team cricket now, so first team county cricket. So they just made either debut last year or this year. Um, both of them didn't have a very good experience at the festival. They didn't live up to their potential, both all rounders, one Yorkie, one Monkey. Um, and it came to picking, we picked from Bunbury, we picked the best of the Bunbury team. So we pick a North team and a South team, and then we go to look for, for a couple of days. Um, about a month later and play off against them. So they can make the team for the North. Okay? So it's basically North and Midlands combined. So they didn't make the team for that. Um, yeah, any of the cricketers that listen to this will know who we're talking about. I'm going to say the next thing. So it was a bit. Um, one was, um, one became England under 19 caps and the other one was vice caps. Okay. Um, and both gone on to play respectively. So I'm not with you to go so I think you don't get to go to Bungie, you don't go to the bit, you Both of took the feedback that was given to them at the end of the week very well. Um, their families, one of the mums rang me and thanked me for not selecting them going forward. Um, so that kind of thing is where they know they can get them kind of like rocky road kind of things that we talk and dips. They took it on, and, and both of them were, even though they were getting any runs or getting any wickets per se, they were always about to take all the way through. So they were all, you know, carrying drinks, running around after other people, supporting the people that were performing when they did all that kind of stuff, which was fantastic to see. So, yeah, it, it has a different effect on different people, you know, and, and people see that take their opportunities, and other people don't take their opportunities. Um, that's the key thing for me is when we talk about it, don't leave. Just give it a go. See what happens. Don't play safe. You know, how did you provide that feedback to them? To what? For what? Uh, well, how did you? Yeah, how did you provide it? Yes. I guess the next question off the back of that is: Do you know what they did? Kind of when they went back to their clubs, or when they went back to counties, or when they went so back. Both home? of them are probably a bit of a misnomer. Both of them had the, had, had the skills and delivery to be able to achieve at that level. No question. But because it's best for Bunbury for that week, you have to get various players that perform that week. So both of them probably would have been, yeah, definitely would have both of them would have been selected anyway on a um, potential going forward. So, but what we do is we provide PDP. Um, so, so we have, at the time, it was probably the standard um, Cornerstones model, I don't know, similar. Yeah, so Cornerstone model, bit of stuff in each, and give that back. We pass that back to the, um, 
academy directors or the EPP, Emerging Player Programme um, head coaches, um, will provide a bit of informal feedback to the player. Um, if parents want to ring up and have a chat with us, you know, that's, at the time that was fine, no problems, but we wouldn't necessarily chat with the, player, with the parents about specifics. That was always delivered to the player. So it's trying to give the player greater awareness but giving them responsibility, you know, the coaching mantra. Um, but very much that way, but also the UPP head coaches from different counties. I mean, you know, PCB staff and counties has been in the past a bit of, you know, whose player they are and kind of discussions. So it's always past the EPP because they might be working on something completely different or they know that, but we think this is a high priority. So for us to give stuff directly to them. So we wouldn't necessarily give them technical players, technical stuff. Um, tactical, yeah. But we, would, we generally wouldn't give technical interventions to the player, but we'd pass that back to the UPP coach because it might be mid working with something. So we didn't want to kind of confuse the issue a little bit. Um, and, but generally, you build that relationship so you can have a little bit of an honest conversation, a bit of a laugh, and build them relationships with your player. One of the bits of feedback we get from parents um, generally, and you don't really get it from the players so much. Maybe because we've got to ask them, but what one of the things we talk about is when you go to a regional environment, they're very surprised what it what it is because it's very relaxed. Um, and it's you know, you know, what do you want to work on? Or do you want to warm up? I don't know. Okay, well that's fine. Or um, what do you want to warm up? Because we're like service to them rather than leading them. So they'll go, right, well, what are hitting next? Right, no worries, I've got next stuff, and I'm hitting that. And then kind of think, but well, so they find it very relaxed, even though they're expected to be, I don't know, something like, something like a boot camp, but very much uh, harder and more disciplined. But I think it's kind of, we try and make sure that at 15 they start taking responsibility for their own game. Um, and some some counties historically have been better at that than others. So we get, we get, we get a lot of players from different environments and, and different backgrounds where they expect you to get them up in the morning to do that. Uh, even though you told them they're done. I thought it was the coach's job. I'm going, uh, no, it's not. So get yourself up out of bed. Um, and if you don't get up any time tomorrow, you know, you're five minutes late today, that's five minutes across the fourteen people. You always an hour's work, all of you. Um, and then you go, so you might write, okay, if you miss it tomorrow, you don't get paid. That's, that's real life. Um, that's how it works. So, well, it depends on which player you're working with again that's that individualized approach for how you how you develop players so so keep coming through that the biggest challenge might be getting up out of bed every morning because he's used to his mum mom dad getting up out of bed and that might be his growth for that week which might kick him on to academy start managing the role getting all that kind of so you can see it in different lengths sometimes so yeah it's a it's a brilliant week up but it's, it's a it's a nine-month coaching program, but it's a brilliant week to finish it off. So, is it the, is the purpose of that just to get them more accountable for their own development and actions, or that type of stuff? For for me, usually, yeah, yeah, becoming it's that awareness and responsibility thing for that. Fifteens is a very interesting age to work with, um, but also there's players there that are so together um, and so know what they've done. They've, they've smashed that already, so it's, it's kind of kind of just making everybody understand what's required at that level. So people understand. And then some of the players will look at other players 
and go eastward. I thought I'd do a bit more like him, or you know, that's expected. Or I need to turn up and train a little bit harder. Or I need to get a bit early to do this to be ready. That's you know, that's what I've got to do. So yeah, it's um, as you say, you can't achieve something unless you know what it looks like. No, that's really what. And I'm I'm assuming, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm assuming counties have their age groups, um, and then they would recommend people to be part of that. Yeah. That, so the, uh, yeah. So the regional stuff generally gets nominated from EPPs and cabinets. So counties counties go um, have players in their EPP from probably 13 up to about 15, 16 might keep playing for 16, but generally at that point, you go into a cabinet if, if, if the county sees the potential in that player. Not necessarily if they're good enough, because then you might go across to a different academy, a different county. So the um, the head coaches for either the EPP or the academy can make nominate to um, regional cricket at 15 or something. Um, and then we get together in a room and have a chat about players, and then we go through a, a long cycle of indoor seeing them outdoor seeing them in games, housing them at games, um, looking for certain things and certain players. Um, yeah, and all that, and managing all that. So it's quite nice in the north, even though it's a big geographic area, there's only six counties. So you've got first class counties Durham, uh, Lancaster and Yorkshire, which you've got some fantastic staff in and the mining counties as well. So really, you know, we're really looking at the staff that work with the players because it's so little of them rural. And most of the time we're all playing as well, so it's And so once they've gone north and south, do they then get selected for like an England age group at that point? Um, it, 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 used to, it used to do, so they get selected for a England under 16 um, tour, and they went to Sri Lanka a few years ago. That's not been going on recently. Um, the big thing is the next ones from 17s is the England under 19s. So there have been talking past about the national team, but and depends on who's doing what and where things go. So you know, the Sri Lanka tours were, I think, were excellent uh, under 16. So that was the year after they finished at 15. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's sometimes yes, sometimes no. And um, but depends on that. So they'll, they'll go and play. They'll have a North versus uh, West Indies. So the West Indies and the 15th will come and, and the South versus West Indies, South versus West Indies as well. Um, it's go. We do an MPP at Lords, which is a fantastic event. So it's um, 16, so uh, a Bunbury 16 against an MCC young uh, team. So that's on a um, Lords with the usual fanfare and getting a chance to play Lords and all that kind of stuff. So, so there is obviously progression forward with that. Um, I think it's a difficult one because we get, I don't know about football, cricket's very much stats oriented. No, I mean, there might be some more stats, details, and you know, running speed and all that kind of other stuff. Um, but cricket has stats available to anybody at any time and runs a score or a transfer. So, probably to shed a minute, statistics is probably the last thing I look at at 15 as a player. Um, um, while we think passes it, the indicator of future. I mean, the research shows in cricket that the statistics of under 15s and the ones you've got, and the other job, is no reflection on what you'll do in the future. 
So that goes down as a shock for a lot of people. Um, who, you know, my lad's got thousand runs this year, wiping up his lectures and kind of thing. So we have picked, so we picked the lad last year who had an average of three. Um, he opened the batting first. Um, and the first game got 100, which was like a bit of like that. The coaches, point of view. Um, we just saw something coming up with that swimming um, to move forward to that next level. You know, so took about 10 minutes in his mentality. Got to know what that next level was going to be able to dictate. And, and to be honest with you, I go, I talk to a lot of coaches and when they select players, and I haven't got a good 15, I don't know how you do their levels. Well, unbelievable. I mean, it sounds terrible where you go, I reckon 50 50 at um, 15. Um, he'll go on and kick on. Um, and then go. So I think sometimes, probably the safest method for me is the position of personality. And, and it, because that's the thing that if, if they don't kick on cricket, they might kick on somewhere. Well, they play 12 football, so that's all right. You know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think people are a bit too hard on themselves. And it's a magic form to understand how. And I've talked to a lot of coaches that have done it for years and years. Um, one of my good mates is probably selected and um, coached most of the England side of Super 90. Um, um, he'll say the same thing. You'll see something in the maybe sometimes. Um, and some of the other times I didn't select this player, but I didn't select that player. They've been all right, like England. No, I'm concert, so. Yeah, I think football's the same. We 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 have loads of statistics, as you said. We've got got them kind of over ears. I guess it's kind of figuring out what people at the top end use and how they use it. At the lower age groups, it doesn't really do a lot. We we the main things we um, keep hold of are kind of uh, attendance records, number yeah. of training hours, number of match minutes, and where they play. Because beyond that, like. You know, if they're a younger age group, but they're massive, well, they might score loads of goals in that season because yeah. they might be two foot bigger than everyone else. Yeah. Um, which I know, in, you know, in cricket, you might have the same. If you've got a quick bowler who's physically way more mature than everyone else and can bowl it quicker than the majority, he's probably going to pick up more wickets than, you know, the, the, the late maturer who's slightly smaller, but, you know, is learning skills in a different way. So, so, yeah. so you get that in cricket quite a lot. So you can look at, Kind of the um, age ages um, that players have come through for certain skills. That's probably one of the later ones. So Jimmy Anderson, for instance, was fifty. Full um, cricket. Um, Stuart Broad uh, was not batting to that sort of time. He's a bit of an end bowler. So you kind of go actually. Then the ones that come through fast bowlers, there is a lot. Um, as you say, as you say, you've done your growing so, you, so your body works together again. It's coordinated. They can deliver balls from when you're stuck. If you want to get with you. And if you've got a kid that's either in a grosser or smaller, um, but then suddenly kick in the 15, 16, 17, you've drawn about 16 foot. Or, um, you know, and, and then you go, right, okay, see what goes. So you, you've got to be very open about these things as well. I see my lot playing rugby as well, so it's interesting to see the rugby players. And you've got one kid that's like, it's like another kid on top of the two kids' school. And it, you know, and he's going to play. And good coaches can understand, right? 
pace. We've got that there. He could kick on as well, but we just need to kind of make sure that he's managed properly as well. So. Other skills and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, game, game play and all that. Yeah. One thing that I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on. So in football, we don't have that setup particularly the older age groups, we have kind of the academy system and then they get scouted and go straight into the England team. Yeah. Um, kind of at the age groups. How forthcoming were counties to have that kind of bridge gap into the England age groups and stuff and having the North and South or the four regions? Were they, were so they the one thing that, that? at 17s, it's called the Super Fours, right? So obviously everything's changed in the moment. So this is as now yeah. or as and historically. So they have the Super Fours, but on the Super Fours programme, you have two or two coaches per region, but they're academy directors. The academy directors come for um, that week to to be involved. So we generally in the north we've got three academy directors, so it's quite quite obvious to see that one of them leaves and two or two support. And then when it comes to the week, one of them leaves too. What we generally get is a manager as well. So what we generally get. I mean, last year, I think all three academy directors were there for most of the week. Um, they're there for support ECB, but also with the view of let's keep an eye on the players and develop the players, but also any other players kicking around the counter circuit that might be able to tackle at some point in the future if they're not happy. Um, there might be a bit of that. And also for their own development, you know, that, you know, see different things and see, see that. So that works. I think that works really well. You get people involved that actually got stake. None of them are paid, so the academies support that as part of the well, ECB from the academies, okay. Um, and then the academy is part of their roommates by support for Brisbane cricket, so it's quite a nice, nice little thing that way. So that works really well. Um, in the 15s, it's a bit more. Um, so I work on the 15s programs, and the guy works on two other guys working on the 15s programs, we're all paid. Um, because we kind of it's a bit more county involvement. We've had the directors have not seen the players, some of them before. Um, so it kind of kind of sits in a bit more confused and a bit more leveling up and an idea. So that gets scouted quite a lot. Of, um, because you know, it starts that age they're going to academy, you've got some that are actually playing pro cricket as well. So you've got kind of money that way. So yeah, I think the counties have been traditionally very supportive of it. While going forward with the issues in finance that the more sports are suffering, I'm not sure how that's going to sit from the ECB point of view or a, or a, or a, or a council level. And can, can they encroach into other areas? So if you've got a kid who's very good in Lancashire, and Lancs haven't picked him up yet, could Yorkshire come in and go, yeah, we'll take it? As long as there's a discussion about it, so I, I was performance director with Cumbria. So Cumbria has produced some decent players in the past, okay? And ongoingly they produce some players, people like Ben Stock. Um, so Ben, Lancashire was interested in Ben, Durham were interested in Ben. Um, the reason why Ben signed to Durham was um, Jeff Cook, I think the story goes, drove across to Cockermouth and signed it. While, while Lancs wanted Ben to go down to Old Trafford. So that's how it, how it appeared. So I, I used to manage that between the two academy directors. So it, I, I had some interesting conversations steering players and, you know, you need to be a strong character to sit between two academy directors when you good players kicking around. Um, 
So there's a lot of, you know, kind of problems. The other thing that I used to do is I'd see players that, that I thought suited certain environments. So um, I always thought, I mean, this has changed now. I mean, I've got now, but at the time, I always thought the government would take a punt on a player so they'd see the future of that player. So they'd pick up diamonds. So something with a lot of potential, but you might need a bit more work and all this kind of other stuff. Because that suits children, their mentality. Um, they like being the underdogs and they like them. I'm not saying that they are the underdogs, but they like to portraying that bit and against ECB and they find all the players and all this kind of other stuff. While Lance would take a more technically correct player, I thought at the time. So if I was trying to get a player signed to an academy and somebody who I would talk to them in a certain language, depending on, so I, you know, for instance, the academy director at Durham's um, called John Windows, so Steamy, it's quite famous, Steamy Windows. So Steamy, you talk about, and Jeff, you talk about his character a lot. You know, so if you talk to Jeff about character, and he'll talk about Collingwood, um, Markwood, uh, ben Stokes, Ben Stokes, Ben Stokes, Walford, Walls, Rumpel, Walls here. Um, Collie, work ethic, unbelievable. Um, Markwood, sense of humor. Them kind of things. So they don't talk about the technical ability, they do, but they're kind of things that attract it. Talk with the Langs guys, um, and it tends to be, you know, release points, this kind of stuff. So uh, if I've got a spinner, I'm going to have a spinner with a sign. I talk about his release point. But if we're trying to get him signed to Durham, I talk, talk about his work ethic, because his work ethic is unbelievable. And one of them. So you kind of change it a little bit to get find the right path of your players so you manage that a little bit. You know, so. And there's yeah, there big know. differences from county to county. Obviously, you mentioned two there, but if you were to go around like Sussex, Hampshire, Somerset. Probably, yeah, I would have thought so, yeah. Yeah, Yorkshire definitely. I mean, quite, you would say quite strong characters in the north, but yeah, I, I would imagine there is a bit in different counties of managed in that way. And it, we're all individuals, aren't we? We've all got our biases and our preferences, you know. And, and, it, and it goes back to coaching. You know? My default set, when I'm looking at players and coaching, say there's a game going on, is I'm looking at interactions and, and how people talk to it and all that kind of stuff. I don't look at the technical stuff. And um, tactical stuff is probably ta tactical interactions, all that, the tactical stuff that's going on at that particular time. And maybe a bit of the psych stuff as well. I don't think look at technical stuff. So when I'm looking at technical stuff, I've got to go and sit with our video analysis guy with him and look on the cameras. And then I suddenly can become a, a lens of technical and looking that way. So I've got to put myself in a different situation. Sometimes I'll go into a clubhouse with a window that looks like a TV screen that can zone in into some of the technical stuff. So, and I think we've all had a different, different cultures. It's like when you build a team, you, know, you don't see different things. You have a lot of discussions with your coaches, what do you think players? And they go, no, not for me, it's a common thing. You go, well, why is it not for you, what do you think? Or yes, for me, or what is it, what do you see? So then kind of words that we use quite a lot, or you look at the player, and you go, what does that mean? You've got to really start digging down into what, what that actually means to you, so you can communicate and convince them yes, that maybe they were taking chance and would you say that each counties have like prototypes of what they work towards? Because what I believe kind of at the top end in football, I guess in all sports really, that teams try and get the best players without yeah. necessarily thinking about how they might fit in in the team dynamic or how they all fit together. 
And I think the best teams, they all kind of, they're like a jigsaw that you you fit in together and one can do this, which complements that. Do you find that the club, all the clubs have prototypes or do they just try and get the best? They've been encouraged to start putting together their own way of doing things. So, for instance, Lancashire have got the Lancashire way. It's been launched a couple of years now, but it's starting to be implemented. So they'll have certain things that characteristic that certain age group. Um, you know, it might be have a, have a game against Spin at 13, they have their view of the world, but that's been encouraged by not just ECB asking them to do it on a academy level, but also their own, own clubs trying to find a way of communicating what their goal is um, for players out in the club world, grassroots world, hopefully. You know, so if we're saying we want them to be imaginative, um, to then, then it might be you kind of hope in the long term that that message might get down to grassroots coaches to tell them, you know, actually, me telling their kids what to do all the time is probably not going to fit in the manager way. That kind of stuff. So there is stuff going on around that, yes. Um, it's still, I think it's still early days you know, with that kind of approach. I think, they, yeah, I think you kind of do have marquee players that set the standard for the clubs. Um, you know, I think you looked at someone, someone like, I'll go back to Durham, and some of the players have played for Durham, and kind of think some characters that, I'm not saying that's not the same in other counties as well, but some big characters that um, show certain attributes and maybe that's the thing that defines them. So if Durham were talking about, you know, characters are massive things for us, and then you've got first team players who've got no character or integrity or, you know, then you're going to struggle out here selling that. I don't know if you've got head coach that can do that either. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I think it just needs to, needs to be. I mean, the Yorkshire way is the Yorkshire way, and, you know, kind of, that's been prominent since, God knows, since it's been in Yorkshire. So they kind of have their own way of doing things in a lot of ways, and coaches, they've got their struggle that they've got to get. To be able to impact that Yorkshire way from outside. So, so Mr. Boycott decided that he'd like to put a fence around Yorkshire and, and um, keep it Yorkshire. You need to kind of get things in for that environment to try and change that a little bit. And I think it doesn't help when you keep going on about being 16 in the Olympic table for the Yorkshire, you know, all the kind of other stuff that they love talking about. This, that's maybe how I did. So, yeah, I think quite a few of their coaches uh, understand that and they've gone outside to try and pull stuff in. They've had a few, like, um, Darren, um, like Gillespie coming in to head coach, I think, really worked really well for them. Mm. New ideas. You never put them down to the Yorkie, you know, vegan, cares about all the people and kind of thing. You know, your characteristic of the Yorkie. I'm going to get slated here. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so things like that, sometimes it does need to, sometimes they need to kind of make it more branded, I suppose, and make it kind of a real thing. So instead of just people go, well, it's just like, why aren't you doing it again this year? And really having feeling for us. While Yorkshire's probably too strong, in a way, and they probably need to be diluted a little bit with some sort of humanity. Yeah. No, it's, it is interesting. I think, you know, football particularly have their own way. All the, all the families have their own way and prototypes they look for. Yeah, 
they have to mean something. Yeah. So, you know, I love Australia. Right? It can mean so much for now for you um, when things are going very well. Um, but their kind of ethos of putting things around the changing room, we're going to change the culture by putting, they had one, I don't know if you ever saw it, but one was elite mate Right? So, and then every time um, Lang is on head coach, he's on the camera and he's looking really off, everybody in the world just screenshots it and put, somebody's going to get some elite mate whatever. <laughs> You can have a load of fun with it. So it's got to be true as well, hasn't it? And so for, for players in those areas, where's like your breeding ground? So obviously, in, in, again, I'll link back to football. In football, we have very young age groups, yeah. um, pre-academies, foundation yeah. phase, youth phase, goes all the way through. My understanding with cricket is... Obviously, one can be harder to get into in some areas. I think some areas maybe isn't as widely played as it yeah. possibly should be. Yeah. But two, quite a lot of social factors affect it as well in terms of you've got like a lot of private schools will play it and stuff, but public schools maybe not so yeah. much and whatnot. So what does that pathway look through? What does it look like at the moment? So, As I said before, I work at the Bunbury uh, Festival. It's generally a private school. Um, and somewhere posh like Radley College, um, some of the other, other places around the country. So, you know, amazing facilities, amazing things. And then you look at the regional, we, we obviously have stats on people who learn. So in cricket, what happens is if you're a working class kid and you manage to live near a club and you manage to get, be able to afford the kid to play and you manage to do well, and then you manage to do this and you manage to do that, and then you might get selected into a county you might do very well, you might go to Bradley College or wherever it is and then go to an environment you're not used to and you see all this kind of stuff which has pressure and you do all of that and even a part of that you do well you might get signed into a, a, a get a sponsor for a private school but sometimes the figures are slightly skewed in terms of come from private school because they've come on scholarship okay? um, North is generally the best and I'll say best reason you probably guess what my mentality is and this. I've always mentioned I'm working class. Yeah. So the north is the best, if you would imagine, is the best county for for state uh, census, and it's still low. Southeast, for instance, southwest per se is probably a lot. Um, so you go, well, what's happening? You know, so I'm trying not to be too political about Michael Lewis. Um, you know, people know I'm quite passionate about this. Um, we have a county age group system that's fed in generally by district cricket. So district or regional area cricket, which is, it tends to be a number of clubs in a region get together and select a team. Okay? It's usually run by volunteers for different development groups. Um, they select team but then if they do then play other um, districts it's funded by usually the county and play other districts and if you do particularly well don't that's probably the standard how it looks so club district county and then into the region so if you're a kid you know there's no cricket going on 
realistically at secondary school unless it's grammar schools. There's a bit of town, town city, not like it used to be. So when I was growing up, all the, um, we played cricket, we used to uh, competitive matches with Harvard. Um, there was nothing going on. Okay? Well, very little going on, I'd say. So it's very little chance. So the only real route you've got is through club cricket. Um, and with the redevelopment of all the towns and cities, there is very little cities that have cricket grounds, club cricket grounds within the, the deprived areas. So a lot of them, for instance, Liverpool has got quite a lot of cricket clubs, but none within the deprived wards of Liverpool at all, because they've all been built off. Okay. Um, so you, so if you're a kid with no money, um, your parents don't drive or work in shifts, how are you going to get to a cricket club? A, you need to get to the cricket club, and B, you need to learn. You need to be able to afford the kit, so you don't go back to Pardon the term, I've used the term of one scratter, and who says, am I getting into trouble? Look like a scratter because you've got no, you know, everybody's got 40 pound bats and you've got nothing. Um, so you have that issue. So there is organisation, so you've got that issue, so there's no grounds in clubs. So, so places like, for instance, Chance to Shine, um, I don't know if you've heard of Chance to Shine. So Chance to Shine is the funded body, um, bit of recent Sport England money that, that pay for cricket coaches to go to junior schools. Okay, um, this is just a particular time. So go to junior schools, and their big thing is connecting them to cricket clubs. So they're going to junior schools that are connected to cricket clubs or are close to cricket clubs. Okay, does it make sense? Um, so it's numbers. It's changing a little bit now. So what you get is the kids, the middle class kids, or the kids living in the nicer areas of, of the town, they get access to some coaching and then get access to some quick clubs. The transition rate is not great, to be honest with you, but that, that's by all by. So then there's a massive gap for, for the barriers for BAME um, um, and socioeconomic issues. So I, I won't mention um, can the BAME any side for a second. Social economic issues, okay? So we mentioned some social issues about parents working shifts and no transport and all that kind of thing. The economic issues we mentioned are quite expensive. You start playing kind of cricket traveling all over the country sometimes, so it becomes an elite sport, okay? So they don't get access. They don't, they don't play at junior school or they don't get access to it at junior school, maybe occasionally, and they definitely don't get access to it. Secondary school, so they'll end up playing football if you're playing sport. Um, rugby, something similar, I think. Um, so that's where you go, that's what you get. So there is certain things. So the MCC, which is the Melbourne Cricket Club, um, that um, run Lords, um, have a foundation arm that run a program called they have a hub system. So they've got 60 odd hubs now in certain inner city areas or certain deprived areas to provide free coaching. That's a really good program and one they're looking to expand, I think, to support that. Chance to Shine run a street program specifically around um, you know, street cricket or uh, around um, deprived areas in the city areas again. So that's a great program to do. And there's other people that do loads of stuff as well. Okay? So the outreach program is just tough. The thing is that you just need to talk together a little bit. So the pathway needs to. Connecting. So if you need to go through a certain pathway to get to 
county and he doesn't include the sweet frogs, it doesn't include the pubs, then there's going to be an issue there. The big culture to work on these frogs know what it looks like at the next level, all that kind of stuff. So there's a massive disconnect and gap. You know, like we do in this country, what we're great at is doing initiatives that don't work. So spending loads of money and then they're not actually being finished off. And you see that, I'm going back to IT and technology. When you're working on an IT project, the last bit is the hardest bit. The last 5% is the hardest bit. And you get people that can do the last 5% and the people that can't. And good people that can do 95% of the work, but the 5% the biggest impact you can have. And that's what's missing by a lot of these programs. And because it's insular, critics, or whatever. So you kind of need to do more stuff. I mean, I talked to Liverpool um, Football Club last year, and just before COVID, we were just on the verge of getting all their their foundation staff um, trained as cricket coaches, so they could deliver cricket in, in the cities. So there is kind of stuff going on where people are thinking a little bit out of the box to try and be able to link these two things together. But you can't have the expertise that just sits in the elite stuff or the or the posh end. Um, of, of, of the, where the money is, you've got to kind of get it out there and, and into the cities and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's difficult. It's really hard. And but, but then again, you know, I mentioned before. You look at the West Indies of the seventies and eighties and nineties. You look at the um, and that's coming back a bit now. I mean, if you look at the. Um, the the powerhouse that is um, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh um, cricket in this country. Guess what? We've got loads of people that love cricket that are from inner city areas, that are from um, working class backgrounds, and we don't facilitate them. You know, World Cup um, is held at Old Trafford, um, India versus Pakistan, and it was sold out within about 20 minutes. So you kind of what a resource to tap into. And they all are passionate and love cricket. So there's loads of kind of stuff going on, but it just needs planning properly. Um, and people need to start understanding that it's part of the pathway and providing connection from that pathway, what that looks like into what a traditional cricket looks like as well. So you can tell I'm a bit passionate about it. And it's probably going to be my I, th I think it's really interesting because, I mean, obviously England in particular at the top end probably have a little bit of a president of getting people that come across with dual nation nationalities, etc. Yeah. Strausses, your Petersons, yeah, Joshua people like that. And I, From the outside looking in, I always look at it and go, actually, we have a large contingent of West Indian people, Indian people, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka in the area. You look at them in their native countries the passion for cricket there is incredible you look at india and stuff and you see the documentaries that sky and stuff do and people travel 45 minutes for games there's 10 games going on around one another but they all know where they're going to be playing and you think if you can harness that enthusiasm which those cultures have within our setting you would one get loads of kids active in sport which is obviously the most important thing and hopefully do the sport they enjoy and they're healthy and active but two you're possibly providing pathways for what could potentially be some fantastic cricketers that yeah. you know we've helped produce and would be able to represent their country proudly if we were able to filter those areas in we talk we talk about this the same with um, women's and girls 
cricket. So um, ECB um, has said that we want cricket to become gender neutral sport by it was 2024, but it's probably going to get pushed back a little bit, of course. Um, we talk about this big press at the moment with um, certain issues with racism in cricket or institutional racism in cricket and reports on that. We've had the West Indies over and Pakistan over for cricket. The passion in this country from, from West Indies, well, Pakistan and Indian and Bangladesh people for cricket is a mess. You know, because ECB aren't facilitating this, or not necessarily ECB, cricket isn't facilitating this, it's happening anyway. So for us to understand, we want more coaches, more officials to be from um, reflective of the communities that they serve. That's all what we want. We need to kind of, there is people there that want to be reflective of the community they serve. So it's just engaging with them communities and it not being so alien to them that, you know, and the stereotypes that we get, you know, from, from people, we need to kind of do everything, you know. So coaching courses, um, we run, we run um, ETB started launching what's called the Foundation Coach um, Award, which was brilliant, absolutely spot on last year. So we had, um, we ran a course in, in Blackburn, for instance, and there was a majority of Muslim women on it um, to service their stuff and supporting delivery in mosques things like that. So just looking at things a little bit differently. And back to the players, you know, one of the great things, because we've got to live in an environment that's changing all the time, we've got to innovate all the time, or innovate or die. So people are used to innovating and thinking of different ways of doing stuff. So if there's no facilities in the city, how are we going to get facilities? And I remember as a kid, the schools were open at six, seven o'clock. You could climb over the walls and fences to play in the yard. So we used to go seven o'clock in the morning, two hours before school, play cricket in the yard. Um, mostly Asian and black people playing, and then the, the white white kids, but they'd all turn up early. And you go, well, that's probably right at that particular time of how much passion they want for cricket, because the facility is no longer there, you know, and access to skills is very difficult in Scotland. So you've got to find different ways of doing it, you know. Can still so open a couple of hours early. Would you? Would your plan A, for example, to try and facilitate this is to reach those communities that are socio-economically maybe in an era of deprivation, try and provide support for them within the community so that they're able to play the game and then have it in a situation where they're not having to travel hour, hour and a half to play games or actually they can play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So provide, provide a opportunity, an easy opportunity and get rid of some of the barriers. So that's that all that thing about white privilege, isn't it? It's it, in the you know, it's it's the barriers that people have got to get over to be able to be level leveled up. So um, yeah, hundred percent. If you just can, if you can, but the thing is, it's like coaching, Michael. Is that you've got to um, you've got to ask the questions first. You've got to be open to listen to the answers. You've got to be in the environment as well, so they know you're taking them seriously. Um, and you've got to be, you know, do stuff. So if you're going to build a relationship with anybody, you've got to listen, build some trust, show some humility, don't tell them what they need to do, listen to them and help them do what they need to do or they think they need to do because they're experts, and then do it. Um, and then that's how you build a relationship. You don't, you know, just say, right, we're going to do this um, because you think it's right. And have we so, got any president 
in this country of really successful examples where they've been able to go into in a Birmingham, in a Manchester, in a London and engage with these groups? Yeah, well, so that we used to, we've been running the um, Core Cities project um, for the last few years. So there is connections into them groups. So for instance, Lance um, ran a one based in Manchester. So we ran a coaching course at Stratford, um, which was fantastic. Um, and obviously connecting. So Lance has got a, a history of connecting with um, others um, groups. They've also got a foundation on Stratford, uh, Old Trafford, which does deals with the community. So got all sorts of different outreach programs. I think a lot of football clubs do that now as well. So you kind of, if you're going to look at stuff, you go, actually, I know there's some talk about, um, I don't know whether it's true or not, but a Premier and leagues having to deliver more than football to um, in city areas. So that's where the cricket came in a little bit. So kind of just widening our net a little bit and understanding we're all in it for the same reason. Um, and that kind of, as you said, getting kids more active and giving some skills for life and maybe opening their eyes a little bit to what's possible for the future and being a bit of optimistic ourselves to say, you know, what, how exciting could this be? Some kind of things, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of chance with um, linking up with other sports as well, especially football, because we tend to have them outreach programs in Twin City area. And how can we use football pitches for cricket and all them kind of other stuff? And, you know, and how, is it a case of opening up longer? Can we get skills to open up a little bit? Or, or whatever that looks like. And is it all right to have informal cricket games instead of having it lights in the park at a local cricket club? Can we not have informal structures? Support? And there is stuff going on. I mean, if you look at some of the um, cities we've got, you've got park cricket where you've got, like in India, where you've got thousands of people playing on the park. Similar sort of stuff um, goes on, you know, since probably the 50s, really. Um, but we're not connecting too well. And the, What's one, going on? The, the one thing I guess is easier with cricket compared to maybe football is if you've got two teams of football and you're not wearing the same kit colour or stuff, it can be confusing. In cricket, you pretty much know the geezer with pads on and a bat is the batsman. The bowl is the one throwing at him and everyone else is fielding. So the actual logistical side of that, it doesn't necessarily have to be really formal. You can make it as informal as you want. So India do a bit... Um... You know, there's no story about Sachin Tendulkar scoring a thousand runs with another part, partner, but them both getting over a thousand runs each. So you bat until you're out. So they bat for God knows how many days. Um, these two young lads. But they kind of like pair, like a form of pairs cricket in India. So last man stands, there's another eventually scoring it. Kind of like that. You tip up, two people back for a certain amount of time, get some of the runs and then other people. So about your own stats more than anything else, yeah. um, which obviously appeals to a lot of cricketers. Um, tends, tends to be that way. So you kind of just tweak the game a little bit to kind of see whoever turns up. So there's informal offerings, people just turning up. There's quite a lot of stuff that um, the county are doing around having non-turf pitches, putting non-turf pitches into certain areas. In the Liverpool one, on the back of a, um, a lot of good work that uh, Manchester cricket have done in the past. Um, and then sometimes it's just let's see what happens. You know, and, and people up, and at least you've got facilities to go and do formal stuff, or they still want to game. 
claiming we're still getting teachers trained and educated. And, you know, cricket's not complicated, you know, them kind of things, and do a bit of teacher training and get into it. So we get a lot of, on the Foundation One course, we, we did probably, in, in Lance, we did probably 15 courses last year, which was fantastic. So about 20 on each. Lots of teachers, lots of parents, or people from um, diverse communities, um, and they go away and what I'm going to do now. So I can do, I can go and attach myself to a club, but I'm not attached to a club, what I'm going to do. And you go, fantastic, you can get you doing it at school, you can play some informal games. He, he or she from school just down the road from you, watch your fancy about doing a softball game between you. You can have a girls team, a boys team, or whatever. And you can speak to these guys and we'll sort out some other stuff and work and support you doing that. And it might be a case of informal leagues. Gold costs money, don't get me wrong, but kind of, Good way to spend money. And just on the back of that, my real issue at the moment is that is cricket going to go more paid because of the issues that the county boards and the ETB are suffering a little bit from because of the finance because of the coronavirus. So I'm seeing more and more pathways coming more paid at a lower level. So that district cricket being moved into a paid offering. And then you go. Doesn't quite fit what we're talking about. Mm. I, I think, as I said, it, my hope would be with, with all sports and whatnot. One, we realise the importance of it because of everything yeah. from where people have been inside and they realise actually sport can be enjoyable. The number of stories I've had of people even just running or cycling, which they wouldn't have done before, and have tried to be more active. I'm hoping. It's brilliant, isn't it? I hope, I hope that that's a positive out of all of this. And I also hope the positive is, is that people are a bit more inventive with solutions. So, you know, at the moment, no one has money. <laughs> the yeah, reality yeah. situation, well, not no one. 99% of us don't have money, unfortunately. So how can we still try and provide these services or opportunities to everyone to be involved in a way that is sustainable? And, it, you know, like you said there, if we can make it so it's not necessarily so formal, make it informal, make it right by the by the people's houses or by in their street corners. That's one of the best way you're going to engage people. Just taking down those barriers and making it more and more accessible. Being able to play it on the streets, being able to play it in playgrounds, being able to play it down the local park. All those type of things are going to make it so, so more. So and more the Indians people. have done this very well on the back of the IPL. So their academy system has been IPL Academy system. So they've, they've pulled in a lot. So they've had the, because it's a city-based franchise, they've had the academies in cities. So they've been looking at the local kids in the cities that they necessarily wouldn't have. So they've handled that quite nicely. And it's one of my hopes that maybe the, um, the franchise cricket that's potentially coming in the 100, uh, yep. heard of, yeah. Um, might do something similar, might look at a bit more broader range of people to not have a look and support that. Um, and hopefully, some of the funding streams for that will be pushing for community work as well. The hope would be as well, you don't know the potential of it further down the line, but a lot of the hundred players, you know, franchise themselves out, they play in the big bash, they play in the IPL, they yeah. play in the hundred. Can we get to the stage where you, you know, you're linking projects across continents or stealing ideas yeah. across continents? If you've got 
Andre Russell, who does all those different things? Is he engaging with the local kids that might be able to help in Manchester or, you know, AB Derrillias, people like that that might... We, be... we, it, it, so, we, depends on we is, you know, multiple hats and all that. So, the problems were to send players to India, um, certain players um, in different countries. I quite like the idea of them going to school for a year in India, which I think would be a lot better experience for them. We do courses, so from it, I've been over to Antigua, I deliver coaching courses across there. Um, we have um, scholarship lads coming over from Barbados and Lance, so we put them through the, um, through the um, coaching qualifications while we're here. You kind of just help a little bit, you know, support, you kind of expect. So we get a bit, they get a bit, you know, same because the tax number we get, you can see any of it. But might be a bit of that going on. Um, I, I, think so that it, well. learn, I think it helps with the learning as well. I know we've said this at the start and obviously a lot of this has been around the person and trying to help the person. There is no magic answer to technical or tactical work. However, experiences for coaches maybe to go out and speak to people from India about spin bowling and how they produce that or how they look to play it, which has been something that English naturally haven't been great at or going to West Indies and speaking about how they produce their fast bowlers what do they look for how what knowledge does the best ones out there have it might be one or two things you pick up that you can then work around the world and try and upskill everyone well there's quite a few coaches um colleagues that have been over to India last year and looked at that against it um we came back with a lot of stuff which that's fantastic you can just get it into your your academies or your, your first class. So basically, feedback was you need to play straighter and spin. Um, yeah, okay, right. Um, but practice a lot more. Um, so to do that, obviously, but that's then that's getting that message down. You can start embedding at a, a really young age and practice that way, whether it's through games or whatever, and, you know, imagination or innovation of the coach to make it exciting and fun. Then when you come to that level, we'll be talking about why no English people back then and green team looking we're all great against spin, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. So um, but yeah, all that kind of stuff. So and that's the great thing about our jobs, isn't it? You know, going out and meeting new people and seeing different cultures and that learning and how you know you don't meet many coaches that have done okay that um, are happy in what they do and they're always looking for more and always trying to get a little bit better and just understand stuff and they just love it don't they love that journey of, of knowledge and experience and life i suppose all that you know, so yeah and, and challenging beliefs as well i mean you know we're, we're looking at here the regional system for me is, is something really interesting it's not something we have in football i wonder whether it would serve a benefit of allowing more players the opportunity to go and play against or play with or against the other best players and that might help with the self-awareness so yeah it's, it's challenging ideas but <laughs> I mean we could talk about it for hours in terms of the differences but yeah I, I think there's as you said coaches what I would describe as good coaches always looking to learn and develop and try and steal the, the best bit of advice I ever had was the best coaches are the best thieves because they just go around taking stuff from different people and trying to incorporate it in different ways to their so I was gonna I was gonna say 
mention about my masters. So my masters was in the art of coaching. So your first question about technical and practical or science stuff. So we get a lot of science stuff in coaching. That's that content knowledge and how you apply it to um, the players or help them get better is the art of the coaching stuff. So I did a review with uh, 12 coaches that work. I've used the term subtly, but it's probably possible for academy up. So either work on the England Development Programme um, up to um, number 19 um, to regional cricket, 15 or academy level. And it's quite interesting because the comment I would make about all the people that are interviewed in all the friends that are good blogs, gender neutral, good blogs, um, and then coming and trying to look at the epistemology, their approaches and the outcomes that they're looking for, and they're all very similar. So it's something, you know, it's goes on Twitter and something I'm planning to share it um, out to everybody I found, but it was things like always looking for, you know, to learn. Um, no, we don't know everything. Always looking, we're willing to answer advice, we're willing to fail. Um, no egos per se showed a lot of humanity. We're willing to put the player first, but only on the premise that it was really for the player, but would would kind of look after themselves. So, so in some cases, we go and go do a course and let down the player. But because it was for the long term benefit of the player, get better. Um, that kind of stuff. So they're driven by getting better to help the player get better and all kinds of other stuff like that. So knowing there's, a, there's not one way of doing stuff, uh, having lots of children in their arm, they don't take themselves too seriously, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and relaxing their own skin, um, you kind of get a little bit from, from that kind of stuff. So it's quite. It's quite a therapeutic process to go through the chat with these 12 guys over lockdown. I managed to get my master's through as well. Which is, I made some use of a lot. I'm not being aware of it, I don't know that long. Um, but yeah, so, you know, and I think that's key for me for that was trying to share that with other coaches. Because the coach of the day just comes from level three. Um, and it was like, oh, it's actually a level four coach. He's very experienced with international coach, and I went, Talk to him about a chat I had with another coach who said he was a quite famous coach. And he said we had a chat in the room, it's on a course, and he went, and he went to something like, um, Do you think you're shit as a coach? And I was like, Yeah, I think I'm shit as a coach. You think you're shit as a coach? Yeah, I think I'm shit as a coach. And I had that kind of conversation, and then he just got, and this level four coach told the story to him. You can see the pressure leaving off him. He thinks he's got a decent thing, but she's not. No, none of us are experts in it. God help us if we are. And if we think we're experts, then we're done. And, uh, and we're destroying large rather than helping people get better. No, agreed. And I think, the, well, the classic thing, and to be fair, my granddad always used to say this to me, the, the older you get, the more you realise you don't know. And yeah. I think coaching is exactly the same. The more you do it, you question more and more. You go, can I have done that better? Can I have done this better? And what you're actually doing is your, your sessions from where they were 10 years ago were pro are probably much better, but you're realizing you might have made two or three or four or 10 or 15 mistakes where you could have been more impactful for the players you're working with. And that's what you're constantly looking for. You want to impact the players yeah. in the most and, positive and way you I, can. I, when I started, it was so hard on myself, you know, I'm going, I've even said that to that hard. And then I, Beat myself up like a full cricket, beat myself up before we until I get a chance to do it again. So I think so if you've got the right motive and you've got the in mind, whenever what you do and you can sleep at night, 
Great. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Uh, that's all you and 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 at that as soon as you get to that stage, then you just have a lot. You can be yourself a bit more and you know, with a bit of skill as well, be yourself a bit more and, and really start affecting people. You know, getting them to because they know the connection with you is authentically rather than you know, trying to show that you are on a level for yourself, whatever. Um, yeah. I agree. I think you, you in, in, oh, authenticity is really important, and, and players can pick up if you're not, and players can pick yeah. up if you are. And you know, everyone wants to be authentic. You're there for a different reason. Yeah. Yeah. You're not really here for me. You're really here for you. Yeah. You get quite a lot when you're working my other top end. And they spot that five seconds. Yeah. Well, I, we'll leave that discussion for another day. I think is that you can go in at the uh, at the top end what it looks like and stuff. But I appreciate. We, listen, we've been on for quite a while, so I'm going to ask you one last question, which is what yeah. I ask um, everyone, which is. Who's the, the best player you've worked with or against or played with or against and why? And who's the best coach you've worked with or against and why? I'm going to leave player aside, I think, because I think that's probably... I need to probably think about that one. Okay. Um, I, I, I won't tell you who the players is, probably a few, but the, the players that can go on to impact the game and it just it changed the dynamics of the game by what they do so they're not a passenger they're kind of in charge of that so coaches why i mean i've seen so many um the only issue i've got now is um who's going to listen to this who should i say <laughs> um i'll go back again to to what i've said past about the idea that it's got to be for them so it's got to be for the player and he puts the player first in all the conversations so I've got loads that I could name that have this mentality but one person recently I've worked with quite a lot is um, John Abrahams um, who was Lance captain back in the day 1970s and one of the things John is is it comes across as um, kind of fluffy you want to give him a cuddle a lot. Um, but the steel underneath there, I mean, his captaincy role obviously took over from Clyde Lloyd, which is, you know, big boots to fill, you know what I mean? There's quite a lot of stealing job that people don't see a lot of. Um, you can see when he's coaching, but he always puts his players first and he probably delivers what he needs to do. And he wants the best for everybody. I mean, he's been a great friend to me over the years. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to say John Abrahams. Um, I've never been coached by John. I've seen coach quite a lot. Been mentored by John, even though he's probably saved and mentor to me. But he's just had a few chats now again and again and told me off when I need to be told off and straightened up a bit. He actually really just slowed down a bit. He's went down and on track here. Um, so then kind of thing. There's plenty of others through that period. I mean, Andrew Rousel, I'm going to name a few out there. Andrew Rousel, Tony Robson, quite a few others kicking around that kind of thing. Tony Robson specifically for my tutoring experiences um, from ETV. Uh, if we're going to name a coach that I would like, I think Barbie's fantastic. I've met him a few times, but Barbie, Paul Harbrace is brilliant. Um, just as the kind of human being he is. Um, you know, on, on this flat. I like Peter Moores as well. Um, Moores' clarity of message and what it does is, is amazing. Um, and he's one of eight, and from an Irish family as well, so that's 
scientists think of. I don't know whether it's a, it's a genetic, genetics for coaching. Um, and he always tells me off the stuff as well. So it's common thread here about, you know, for being an idiot. Um, so then I'm trying to think, I was very lucky to play, not necessarily against, because I can't say I played against them, um, players in the, um, when I was younger. Um, but I, if I'm going to name a player that I'd love to have, not necessarily any of the West Indies players from the uh, that area, but my, my favourite player of all time is Malcolm Marshall, the bowler. Um, I always wanted to be a fast bowler when I was a kid, so um, yeah, I love him. But you know, Clive, Clive Lloyd in the older days, but Big Rich, it's anybody with a bit of fan voice, so you know, that kind of stuff. And Calypso cricket was what I grew up on, so yeah, any of them down I mean, there's plenty of books. Perfect. Listen, Lee, I really appreciate your time and um, it's been a great conversation and um, hopefully if, if you're up for it further down the line, we can check back in and go over all, loads of other stuff we haven't even touched on. Yeah, no, brilliant. I think it'd be nice to do a post-virus um, one, how, how life's changed. Um, yeah. See, see some of the innovations and things that have gone on. And I'd definitely like people, kind of like the stuff that's probably close to my heart at the moment is this kind of connecting pathways with um, social economic yeah. issues. I think we're, we're pretty specifically, we're, there's others as well, but definitely these elite sports. Um, we're living in a conservative world at the moment, so we just um, address it a little bit. Perfect. Listen, I'll, I'll let you go, but enjoy the rest of your day and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, mate. Cheers. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.